Hey there, Bill. How are you doing today? I'm well, Robin. Can you believe that it is the end of February already? I know. It feels like 2023 just started. You know, I still need to take down my festive decorations or maybe I'll keep them up and just be ahead of the curve for next year. You know, I like that. Everything going well with you? Everything's good. As you can see today, I'm serving CyberTalk through a hotel room instead of the usual Kato studio. But this is just a nice reminder to all that wherever you go, wherever you are, security will follow you. And it's important to be vigilant, whether you're connected to an airport Wi-Fi or if you're at home sat connected to your local cherished and loved router, wherever you are, you're a threat and you can do things to protect you. There you go. So talking about things to protect and talking about how you can stay secure, let's talk about convoys. No, envoys is through a crowd. What's been happening this week? Robin, the we we had a lesson that we learned back in 2013, and we'll come back to that in a little while. But we have some news that hit the wire concerning the company Atlassian. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to share was that in the news, they unfortunately had, now get this number, Robin, this is a big one, 13,200 of their employees had their private information leaked along with some floor plans. Now, you mentioned that this was about Envoy. Uh, These Atlassian employees' data supposedly was accessed and leaked through one of Atlassian's partners, one of the integrated solutions that they have called Envoy. And the evidence to that was that in addition to the employee information from Atlassian, there were floor plans that were leaked, and that's part of the business that Envoy does. So another big mm-hmm. one, this time it wasn't the general public. This was a company uh, being in, infiltrated and then information about their employees being exfiltrated. So oh, a little wow. bit of an ugly one. Indeed. So when you say floor plans, is that where people sit in the office and how people can, what type of floor plans? Yeah. love that you asked that question. And I think that it actually triggered part of the response. So the floor plans were specific to uh, like corporate office buildings, the, the the floor plans that existed, which of course would indicate where people sit and so forth. The 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 threat actor that managed to exfiltrate this data uh, that, that they claim actually accomplished it was an organization or a, a group called SiegedSec. Uh, and mm-hmm. they, the, the way that they exfiltrated the data was they actually posted it on the chat application Telegram. So they mm-hmm. put it out there for the world to see. Now, when that data was exposed, and, and straight to your question, Robin, concerning floor plans, building plans, Atlassian's response did indicate a little bit of a potential physical security concern. So there, there certainly may have been some of that thinking along those lines. But mm-hmm. what I find really fascinating and, and what I really hope we consider here is that an argument ensued, Robin, as to mm-hmm. where the breach took place. You had Atlassian <laughs> saying it's because Envoy was breached. You mm-hmm. had Envoy say, no, it wasn't us for sure. It was Atlassian that was breached. Mm-hmm. And of course, we brought in a third party, right? A third party investigating crew came in to look at the vector and here's what they determined. They determined that unfortunately an Atlassian employee had left their credentials on a public repository. Sounds like some prior episodes that we've shared, right? Here we go again. And the, the threat actor got a hold of those credentials but couldn't get in through the front door 
at Atlassian. Uh-huh. So they managed to somehow get in through Envoy, which again is a partner and an uh-huh. integration with Atlassian and using valid credentials, they were able to get into Atlassian. So is it a breach? Well, uh, by the traditional definition, of course it is, but it almost doesn't seem like a breach when you actually left your keys out on the on the front porch. Yeah, no, if you leave your keys on the front porch and somebody breaks into your house, often insurance will really cover that because you're not taking adequate steps to secure your property. So fingers crossed it's not hurt too much. Due diligence uh, and due care. That's due right. Due diligence. I know a lot of times on, on this podcast we talk about how important it is to remember the human element and how we should focus on data security and how we should focus on people being fastidious around how they code. But floor plans are more moving in traditional security, physical mm-hmm. penetration tests. I mean, if I know where people sit, if I know the architectural plans of a business, that can make it much easier for me to act as a malicious actor, maybe call the front desk and say, oh, hi, can I speak to Joe? Yeah, he sat next to Tim, because you have that. But then you also have the risk of, well, if you wanted to do infiltration, knowing exactly where to go, how to walk, and when. It's Sorry, it's a slightly different uh, side. I think we should probably do an episode on physical security no. as well, because that's part of the entire OSI. I was going to say exactly that, Robin. You're, you're, you're spot on. So the, the physical security aspect, a lot of time wow. we think that as, uh, as cybersecurity professionals, that it's entirely about what happens behind that laptop screen. And that's not necessarily it. You discussed being able to infiltrate physical security. You know, I don't even have to go in the building. Robin, if I have building plans, if I have access to that, I might find a Wi-Fi access point near a wall somewhere and know that I can simply park there and begin my attempts to to compromise the network, (laughs) let alone the social engineering of getting in there. So really there, there's a, there's a lot of lessons in this and that's why we bring it up. Um, you know, there's, there's not only the lesson of the importance of physical security as a part of cybersecurity, but there's the lesson that your governance, your risk and your compliance, those three pieces that are so important for organizations to really wrap their arms around have got to include your third party. I mentioned 2013 at the outset. I think most folks who are a part of this business right away would say, okay, he's referring to the target breach, right? Here was another Mm -hmm. case where a third party was accessed in order to get into target. And, uh, and, and we know what the results of that are. So, you know, public repository hygiene GRC that takes uh, consideration of third parties, as well as understanding that the physical aspect really does play into cybersecurity. You're right. We need to do a show on that. Now, sorry, Bill, I don't want to date or age you, but for a lot of our listeners, 2013 was a long time ago. You know, it's, it's been 10 years since 2013, not to shock you. What really happened with that target breach, if you could summarize it quickly? Certainly. So just to summarize real quickly, third party, and it was actually uh, third party not uh, not infrastructure, we're, we're talking environmentals. They were able to get in and then compromise target system through that integration with that third party and exfiltrate uh, an awful lot of PCI DSS information. So, yes. you know, target feeling like they had everything well secured, <laughs> did not look at that third party and that third party was what provided a way in. So that, wow. that's kind of an overview. You can't miss okay, it so- if you do a Google search on it. But if you do a Google search on it, be careful of your Google ads. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Oh, indeed, indeed. But before we get onto that point, 
how could have Atlassian, Envoy, how could they have avoided this breach? Could they have avoided this breach? What, what would you recommend? Yeah, they certainly could. Now, you know, and, and part of it just begins with plain and simple segmentation. There are integrations and you do have to have integrations, but effective segmentation, that's one of the first steps because then you can begin to apply security policy. You can apply intrusion prevention. You can apply uh, anti-malware. You can apply any of you know that sassy stack, that security service edge to ensure that even if there does happen to be a way in. And, and look, Robin, the lesson that we learned was that even though the employees' credentials were available publicly, they still weren't able to go in the front gates. So mm -hmm. the protection was there. Let's start looking at that from a third-party integration perspective as well and realize that a robust security stack does need to exist even in those trust relationships. Zero trust networking access, very, mm -hmm. very important. Or we could go the completely facetious route and say anybody who uses Jira hates using Jira and not even the threat actor themselves want to use it in the way it's intended to be used. <laughs> I don't know if you do any coding yourself, Bill, but you know, using Jira for the work tracking, bane of my existence. But Many hey years, Robin. Many years. Hey, hey, here we are. Well, it's better than the alternative of not having any tracking, I guess. That's right. But talking of tracking, you mentioned yeah. Google a few yeah. moments ago. Yes. And I would like to talk a little bit about something else that has happened over this past week. Now, a few a few days ago, I think three, four days ago now, there was a large surge of accidental ads, pretty much. People were going on, on Google. They were searching for specific well-known applications such as WhatsApp, Facebook, uh, TikTok, but they weren't being served what they were meant to be served. Instead, they were being served something potentially malicious. Now, before I, I dive down, I want to say that this has primarily been targeted at our folks in the Asia-Pacific region, specifically Southeast and East Asia. The Google, the rogue Google Ads campaign was really targeted in that area. Now, this brings up two problems already, two problems. And kind of, my mind's bouncing around here because there's so many different avenues we can take this. The first is that this problem started with people searching for ads or apps that aren't available in their area. So some software providers, some applications aren't available worldwide. So you'd go online, you'd search for your app, you think, oh, there we go, click on my link, download the application and happy days. But what's actually happening is instead of downloading the legitimate application, you're downloading a malicious payload. This malicious payload is known as Fatal Rat, a remote access Trojan. And for those who aren't aware, once Fatal Rat gets onto your machine, it allows the bad guys to snoop in and remotely access and do what they need and turn your system into a botnet or exfiltrate all the data. But as far as the end user is concerned, they're downloading completely legitimate apps. They're getting access to their Telegram, their WhatsApp, their TikTok, and they're all happy and joyous. But it's malicious. Now, the reason that these are malicious is because of a awful, awful, but highly profitable, highly profitable business known as typo squatting. For those who aren't aware, typo squatting would be to take a well-known address, such as google.com, and then maybe notice that the domain of googie.com is not registered. If you're enterprising, you can take your credit card by googie.com for fifteen dollars to $5,000 a year, whatever it might be, and then start imitating and trusting those who have good intent that your URL is good. 
This is spoofing. This is a form of phishing. This is a way of tricking people out of their sensitive data. Now, once you start doing these URL impersonation, once you start typo squatting, the world is your oyster. Hmm. Now, Bill, have you ever accidentally been the victim of a typo squat attack? Boy, you know, I, I think I would be lying if I said no. It, it can certainly happen. Um, and and yes, that, that has absolutely happened to me. The, the good news in this particular case was that I was uh, running some protection on the endpoint. But it, mm -hmm. it can happen very, very easily, especially if you are multitasking, which we both know is not actually true. <laughs> not, no, there's no such thing as multitasking. That's it's just right. doing one thing worse than the other. Now, typo squatting can sometimes be used for positive reasons. I mean, way back when, in my earlier career, I was working for one vendor, and they had a nice firewall to prevent things from going to the internet. And there was this one website, I think it was called like coolgames.com or something similar, and I decided to purchase the domain of coolgame.com. Very, very similar, but in fact, instead of redirecting directly to the website, it would proxy your traffic back to myself, it would serve the information to the endpoint with pixels, but then I would be doing actual tracking and screen scraping to see how people were accessing it. It was all part of a way to see if our end users were going to circumvent security policy. And turns out we harvested a lot of data, but eventually that was deemed as unethical and we had to scrap that project. But there are legitimate reasons for typo squatting. But the majority of times people typo squat, or the majority of times people are doing this, are for malicious intent. Now, if you're sat at your desktop and you have your 4K monitor and you're a security practitioner and professional and you can see everything, you might notice that you're going to googie.com instead of google.com. However, if you're on your, your iPhone, you open up Safari or Chrome, the screen real estate is smaller. These applications or these browsers often concatenate or truncate your URL bar so you don't actually see the full URL. It's a lot easier for people to sneak by. And as our Malicious brethren and sistren start getting smarter and more targeted. And as the adoption of these mobile devices become even more prevalent, I'm imagining that this level of attack is going to get higher and higher and higher. Uh, so, Bill, do you want to buy some domains? Do you want to go on a little typo <laughs> hunt and seeing uh, how much we can extract from LinkedIn, Google, Meta? Uh, I'm sure there's plenty of .club, .me, .xyz domains out there. Yeah, it's for scientific purposes, Robin. Of course, I'm in. Of course, of course, <laughs> of course. We're not going to hold anybody to think. You know, right, it's right. research in case anybody from the forces are listening. It's all, all thought That's experiments. Right. That's right. Now, Robin, yeah. so I, I, I love the conversation around mobile devices. And look, we can analyze network traffic uh, just mm -hmm. on a global scale and see very quickly that network traffic, web traffic from mobile devices is rapidly outpacing uh, standard traffic of what you would see on the great big 4K monitor, as, as you mentioned. So mm -hmm. part of the problem is that visibility. Y you nailed it. I wonder, though, uh, obviously, we're, we're going to have to look at defense in depth here. It's, it's, this is, there's not one thing that's going to slay the dragon, so to speak, mm -hmm. when it comes to this kind of attack, especially when it's wrapped with the credibility of a Google ad. Right. Yeah. There, there is a, a layer of credibility that comes there, although we might argue about that a little bit. But what, what are some of the, you know, in your mind, what are some of the sort of defense and depth strategies that that we can utilize and will help us to mitigate this uh, for those users that are on the run? They're multitasking, they're on mobile devices, or they're just simply too busy to inspect every single link that they're going to click. 
Well, I think the obvious one, first of all, is leave your phone at home. You don't need to be connected all the time. You know, touch grass, breathe the air. No, realistically, that's not possible. We're all getting more and more connected, especially as augmented reality is becoming more of a thing. The, well, from a defense in depth strategy, the first thing I'd recommend is secure web gateways everywhere. Don't trust the internet. The internet is full of dark things and insecure. And, and so if you're going to have a mobile device in any way, try and be actively connected to a secure web gateway. Now with Kato Networks, it's very easy. We offer always on connectivity to the Kato cloud, whether you're using your Android, your iOS, your iPad, your laptop, Windows, Unix device, we have ways of doing that. And by being always connected to the Kato cloud, if somebody accidentally clicks on a phishing link or a malicious URL or tries to download Fatal Rat or any other Trojan, the Kato Cloud will automatically block that malicious intent. Because most people who click on these links, they're just quite quickly going, ooh, Mother's Day flowers, buy, first ad, click a link, ooh, Interflora, great. But before you know it, you your card has been cloned, you've been scammed, and your mother thinks that you don't love her anymore because the flowers didn't arrive. But at the end of the day, you've been the victim of a crime. Now, if you're connected to a secure web gateway with a fantastic rep reputation engine that was looking at the legitimacy of a site, looking at the traffic patterns, looking at the overall reputation, I know it's a reputation engine, the reputation of that website, that can help mitigate not just typo squatting and accidental download, but also phishing links. It can also control which legitimate or illegitimate traffics that would access your device. So I think that's the first step. First step is try and be connected to a secure web gateway. Now, I know for many vendors and many architectures out there, that's incredibly difficult, especially if you have different secure web gateways deployed geographically around the world. So I've right. seen many architectures where you'd have one for EMEA, one for UK, one for South Africa, one for, yes, absolutely crazy. Someone like Kato, you just connect to the Kato cloud. We don't really care where your users are. We deliver the same level of security and protection, no matter where you are in the world. But that's step one. Mm. Now, what would you recommend for step two? Oh, let's back and forth here. So you don't want me monologuing at you for 25 minutes, even though I can easily do that. No, I, I oh. absolutely love it. So, you know, we've talked about technology, secure web gateways, reputation, intrusion prevention, uh, next generation anti-malware. Uh, education has got to be a part of it too, Robin. Let's not yeah. forget the people and you and I usually don't. So uh, I definitely <laughs> would, would put that in place. Uh, it, it, you cannot underestimate the importance of making sure that users are aware. And listen, we talked about this in prior episodes. The, the whole BYOD concept is not going away. Users yeah. are going to bring devices. So when you talk about that always connected world, not only is that incredibly important as data moves around, but in those situations where maybe we're a little bit more relaxed on policy and users are allowed to disconnect from that, we need to ensure that if they do get compromised in some way, shape or form, that before they do get back into, uh, into our world where, where that risk can dramatically increase, um, they are passed through an engine from a zero trust perspective that ensures that it is legitimate, it is safe traffic. And if we do find right. something that's amiss, we are able to appropriately isolate. Indeed. And then step three, ha, device posture. So device posture is if you are checking the device, make sure the device still meets all the criteria. Right. I've seen some Trojans and some bits of malware that will try and uninstall or de-escalate privileges of antivirus software. So whilst version 5.5 of your favorite endpoint protection software is patched, 
if somebody something gets on your system, downgrades up to 5.4, and then it's in the known backdoor, you can be in a bad way. But with something like device protection, or so device posture from Cato Networks, you can really validate which version of software is on your endpoint to ensure that the right thing has been connected. So, yeah, the world of malicious intent can be very interesting and exciting. It is indeed. Indeed. So, Bill, thank you for your time today. I look forward to the next one. Likewise, Robin, always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.